Hey, we are live. This is Wicked Spursy, the Vermont Spurs podcast. Excited to be here. It's Super Bowl Sunday, but we're here to talk about another very important kind of football first before we uh, start looking ahead to a different kind of football. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you today? Doing very well. Thank you. And Steve, always great to see you and hear from you. How are you doing? Yeah, I can't complain. I mean, you got the win. What more can you want? <laughs> you got it. How quickly fortunes and attitudes change, right? Um, next, I want to welcome, we've got, we've got a special guest joining us today. Tal is a member of our Vermont Spurs group as well. Tal, we're excited to have you. Wondering if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself and and then a little bit about why Spurs are your team. Oh, first of all, glad, glad to see you guys and talk to you guys. Um I am originally from Atlanta. This is the backstory and grew up playing soccer in Atlanta, but had no real teams to cheer for uh, Atlanta Chiefs, indoor soccer, that kind of thing. Um, we never saw soccer or football. We just maybe a uh, soccer made in Germany on PBS or something on Saturday afternoon. Um, but my first game I ever saw was I think the FA Cup final in 95 uh, when Eric Cantona scored. And I, we'd gone to a bar to watch that early in the morning. It's the first time I ever put eyes on, on Premiership football. And um, fast forward a little bit to when my son was coming up. Um, he played in a, in a club in Burlington for about 10 years, and I coached there for 10 years. And when he got to be about 12 or so or 11 or so, he started trying to pick his team. He liked Barca, and he loved uh, Xavi and Iniesta. And uh, But then all his, all his mates were choosing you know, Liverpool or City or United or whatever. So he kind of went the other way. And uh, we decided we'd like Tottenham and uh, sort of like picking the the Cubs, I guess. We didn't really know any better. And um, (laughs) uh, but it was we what really intrigued us the most was just uh, watching Bale. And um, we just were taken by the flowing football and the small uh, stadium, White Hart Lane. And, you know, just sort of the atmosphere of that club seems sort of more down home and um, you know, closer to where we were. So we just adopted it. And then he finished playing his soccer career and I'm not coaching anymore. So I got to put all my energy somewhere and, uh, I become a rabid, rabid fanatic just all by myself trying to drag my wife into it with me. So that's about it. Tal, it's good to have you with us. And, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you on trying to drag, drag the wife into it. It's not that easy of a drag for me, but you know, persistence she pays said, off. She said she'd come on and guest as sort of the the ignorant wife, and then we could make fun of her a little bit. But then she said, "No, we, we don't want to do that." And, she's and, a good fan, and we would never do that. That that would be unthinkable. So uh, yeah, hey, awesome to have you here with us. Let's uh, let's look at just recap on some games first. Let's we had Chelsea during the week um, that left us feeling one way. We had West Brom this morning that clearly left us feeling a different way. But let's let's start first with Chelsea. I'm thinking, Steve, why don't you give us your your quick analysis of the, the Chelsea match, how you felt about the lineups, how you felt about what you saw on the pitch, and um, how you felt walking away from it. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one simply because when I saw the lineup, it was almost exactly what I thought it would be for that kind of game. You know, uh, the five at the back wasn't working. Um, definitely needed to go back to that back four. Um I, I wasn't surprised at all with it. What was shocking to me was just how poorly they played for, you know, the opening, I don't know, I'll call it 15, 20 minutes. It, you know, Chelsea was all over the place. So they were dominant. Uh, it looked like for the briefest of moments that they were 
the Spurs were finally finding their footing. They were finally growing into it, stringing some passes together. Uh, and then Dyer does the most boneheaded thing I have seen in who knows how long to give away the clumsiest penalty of the season. I, I don't know if I could find a clumsier penalty in the Premier League. I mean, there, he had no business making that challenge. Um and, you know, after that, it just kind of, it took the wind out of everybody's sails, you know, over half of the team looked like they, you know, just got hit in the gut, walking around all over the place, you know, you could tell that they were lost and um, no longer feeling confident, any kind of momentum uh, that they had been building up prior to that shattered, it was gone. We didn't see any real energy, passion, you know, whatever you want to call it until we got those second half subs. We saw Lucas and Lamella come on and, and they got that energy in there. But, you know, it's one of those cases where it was too little, too late. You know, they only had what, like half an hour to make something happen. And at that point it just, it wasn't enough. Um, so really disappointing. And it, it could have gone so much differently because Chelsea, they, they weren't great by any stretch of the imagination, but the Spurs were just that much worse. The only real bright spot that I had is that it was better than the Brighton game, but that bar was so low. I mean, it, you kind of had to be better than that. Otherwise I don't, I don't know if I would have turned it on today if it were worse. All right. So Steve, I appreciate that overview. And I, if the, if you guys don't mind, I want to mess with our running order a little bit, which it's really early to start doing that already, but here's what I'm thinking. Um, after that Chelsea match on Thursday, I think everybody felt a certain way. And one of the challenges of, of fandom, right, is, is the roller coaster of emotions. And so I don't want to lose the the what Thursday, Friday, Saturday felt like before the, the match this morning that we'll talk about in a little bit. What I want to ask you guys, um, Tal, why don't I start with you? I want to ask you from a leadership standpoint what we think might have been going on. And, and here's the context. Um, I've shared with you that that I I work in leadership as a part of my job, and and I know that um, there are always people who think they know how I should do my job. That's even more the case during COVID. Um, I, I could share some just lovely emails with you from some members of my fan club who just have it all figured out that could tell you, you know, everything that I'm doing wrong. So it's not lost on me that it's one thing for for me to sit on the outside and look at an organization I care about. And have opinions about what I think they should be doing. But I also know that on the inside, like the people on the inside have, they know what's actually going on. They know the people dynamics. They know the the health dynamics. They know the mood. They know the tone. You know, there's always something that people on the outside don't get. Um, Tal, just just throwing this to you, like when when the times are rough, what do you what do you think might have been going on on the inside of the club um, during this low stretch that we've been experiencing? It's hard to break it all down. Uh, when when Mourinho came in, my I've been a you know like I thought it was a good move uh, because it sort of like placed our marker on we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna become a big club we're gonna get we're gonna get a, a manager in who who has vast experience and can put us over the top, even if it means being pragmatic, and um, because the free flowing everything wasn't working and. You know, watching him last year, I was really impressed from a leadership standpoint. The way he, he, he obviously has incredible poise and mastery of talking and, and, and uh, coming into a club and sort of being the, you know, being the strong man and, and establishing a culture. And I was impressed by how, 
you know, last year was a little janky. Then we came back in the in, in July or June, and and you know the team looked stronger, and it seemed like team players were buying into the sort of mentality that he was talking about. He talked a lot about our systems and uh, sort of how we were to set up and getting players to get to that point, getting in a couple players that could do those things, and. Uh, and then I'm wondering, you know, we hit as soon as we hit a little rough patch, we, you know, we lost a little confidence maybe from giving up that lead to West Ham, giving up late goals, uh, losing points we should have gained. And it's almost like psychologically the players uh, became fragile again. And maybe that has to do partly with playing for Mourinho because it's sort of like you got to play the system. And if you don't play the system, you're not going to play. And if you don't do, if you make a mistake, you're going to get called out. And so, it's almost like I wonder if the players began to feel a little shackled, and and so, and so how if you're the if you're the if you're the leader, how do you sort of uh, change or create a new ethos that makes players relax? And and it's just it's hard to get a read on. Like uh, the, in some cases, the players aren't playing well. Like they can't connect a pass. You know, they panic and they smash the ball out of bounds, and they can settle the ball, and we can build up again. Um, in some cases, I, I feel like there's this incredible pressure. Like as soon as we lose three games, everyone's like out, 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 and that's not a healthy environment at all. And so I, it's just it's tricky. Um, I don't know if I'm a- answering the question, uh, but I still believe, like in a, in a situation like this, there has to be time given. And 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 so and he and I feel like Mourinho, one of his jobs is sort of to create a bubble around the team so that he can create get the time he needs to do what he wants to do. But at the same time, he, he makes boneheaded decisions and makes boneheaded choices, which increase all the negativity around the club. So it's just, a, it's, it can be really hard. I, I cannot see how, what it takes to lead, like in your case, in your situation with your, you know, the pressure you feel in your community, I can imagine for him, it's that times, you know, a thousand. Yeah. Great, great way to put that Tal. Mike, I'm wondering if you could, build on that. Tal said, Tal kind of commented about the the tight, loose dynamic, right? Before we started recording, Mike, you and I were talking about coaching and, and what that feels like as an experience and, and uh, Mourinho's need to kind of reinstill backbone in the guys and, and create high expectations, but you don't want it to be so rigid that everybody's afraid to screw up. What do you see, Mike? What's What's the dynamic on the inside that's been informing the way we've been playing as of late? You know, I, I, I think that at, at times, um, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I love Mourinho's, just his enthusiasm and his, and it seems like he genuinely cares about his players. Um, but then you see him go along and throw people under the bus or, you know, guy has a, has a rough patch and he gets, you know, he gets sat down for a number of matches. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't just beat up on that on that one player, um, you know, i.e. Delhi or Serge, um, it doesn't just beat up on that one player. It beats up on the rest of the, the locker room too. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, where we're at with Jose. Cause a couple of weeks ago, we, I think we had decided, decided, you know, to a man that he's our guy. Um, for me, he's still my guy. I, I, I don't know why it's like Tal said, it's kind of like you hit a rough patch, you have a couple of rough matches and everybody's like out, get rid of the guy. Uh, I, I don't think we need to get rid of him. I mean, we hit a rough patch, you know, um, 
if, if you remember, um, what was it last year or the year before, you know, Pep, Pep had made the comment and called us the Harry Kane team, you know, and you lose Harry Kane and then you become the no Harry Kane team. Right. So, you know, it, it's, I think the, a, a good, good manager can keep his, can keep his locker room slash dressing room in order and keep the players heads in the game. Even if one guy is having a rough spot, um, you can't you, you you can't just blame it all on Jose. But you know Tottenham's always kind of had that 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 way of the way of playing where they give up one goal and then their heads are down for twenty minutes, and that can affect the rest of the game. It can affect just those twenty minutes. But if in those twenty minutes they give up another goal because their heads are down because you know i mean that that can that can start you on a path where you end up playing a rough patch of games a bad patch of games so i i can't really say it's all jose's fault but it it doesn't help when when he kind of ostracizes a guy because he's had a bad game mike thanks for adding to that perspective i think you um you talking about the rough patch this morning, we came out of the rough patch, right? Uh, one of those 7 a.m. matches, which I love. It's, it's, a, it's a great start to the day, and it gives you the rest, rest of your day to figure out what to do with it. But, um, Tal, why don't you let us know, what, what did you think about the lineups you saw this morning, and what did you think about the, the type of play in the first half, for example, just how, how we were moving, how we were passing? What did you think? Well, I I, uh, I like what you said about waking up for the early games. For me, it's like waking up for cartoons. And I'm a, when I was a little kid, yeah, absolutely. I come down with my pajamas on. I'm ready to roll. But um, well, Lucas, being we had our Smurf in there, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I came down a little late this morning, and uh, like three minutes late, and I turned on the TV and I was trying to figure out who was where, and I saw Kane out there, and I couldn't believe it. And um, which goes back to what I'm feeling like the last three matches is without Kane or I guess it was before the Liverpool match, uh, in the Liverpool match without Kane, I just don't feel good. <laughs> and, um, and it just, and it, we're, we're like, a we are a Harry Kane-less team. And, um, I think that, and I think that affects the players mentality. Like, I think if they know that Harry Kane's up there, they're going to have to defend and hope and it's hope, hopeful football, which isn't good football. Uh, that just makes other teams feel like we got these guys. But this morning I saw Kane out there. I was like, "All right," and then and then I saw Lamella and Lucas, and I'm I uh, I'm not the biggest fans of those two players, um, but I have to say today they both they both brought a spark. And in the beginning, you know, you see you know you see um, Lucas with these driving runs where he jinks past a couple players, and oftentimes he kind of runs into a wall and loses it. Um, but he he made he he made the, he got the end product today at least for that goal. But early on there there was brightness, that, you know. So West Brom sitting back, which means we can kind of we don't have to be nervous the whole time. The backs can kind of relax a little bit and not be under so much pressure. Uh, but you know our problem is breaking these teams down. And that first half was a little frustrating because Harry Kane, you know Kane looked a little rusty. He shanked a couple, hit a couple poorly that he might have hit on goal and. So I'm thinking, are we going to have one of these matches where we're like in there in the whole time, but we can't unlock them, and then they get a goal like they almost did in the first half, uh, thanks to Sanchez's ball watching. 
But, you know, it, it was nice to see us on the front foot, and it was nice to see us going at them a little bit. Steve, how about the second half or, or going into halftime? And as we came out for the second half, how were you feeling? What were you thinking about in terms of style of play? What our opportunities were? How players were were functioning on the field? What did you think? I mean, I think Tal hit the nail on the head there. It, it looked like it was going to shape up to be one of those games where we're so dominant in their half, but they got 10 guys defending and we've got nothing to unlock that. Um, for the longest time, it looked like it was just going to, and then, you know, Johnston there had a couple of decent saves, you know, not world-class or anything. There were saves he should have made, but, you know, you still kind of hope maybe this is the day where, you know, he's off his game or something. Uh, so you start to think, okay, well, they're getting their shots off. They're getting them on target. He's making the saves. You know, we, we've got nothing more, you know, there's nothing more we can do. Um, but then we got the goal and then we got a second one, like pretty quickly after. Um, and then all of a sudden the game opens up a bit, you know, what West Brom can't afford to sit back anymore. Um, and you know, Spurs can feel a, a little more comfortable. The only downside to that is Spurs defensively is still pretty suspect. So there are times where, uh, you know, you felt, oh no, you know, West Brom could easily get back into this. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that I've been seeing, uh, you know, make its way around, you know, on Reddit and some of these forums uh, has been people praising Sanchez uh, for holding such a high line and keeping those guys offside. You see, but I, I kind of look at that from a different way. I look at that the, the West Brom striker as just living offside when he shouldn't have. Not so much that Sanchez was doing something right, rather the other guy was doing something wrong. And, you know, it's easy. We came come away with the clean sheet, you know, so it's easy to say, well, Sanchez was in there. He got the clean sheet. It's easy to get a clean sheet when you get four opportunities and one of them is on goal. I mean, West Brom sat back for 60 minutes. They had 30 minutes to make something happen. And they, you know, the Spurs are still in the game too. You know, they're not going to just roll over and let them do it. Uh, I I still look at that that ball watching in the first half as kind of like, that's Sanchez to me. You know, sure, there are other people who are out of position or, or maybe they're not pressing enough, but that's his guy. He lost his guy just watching the ball and that led to a chance and, I think that might have been their only chance for the whole game, too. So if that had gone in, if we'd gone into the break down 1-0, we're having a completely different conversation about not only how the game's going, but how is Sanchez performing. Um, so, you know, I, I look at, you know, who we've got coming up. we got Everton coming up. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he's not going to make those mistakes. You know, James Rodriguez, he's not going to make those mistakes. Sanchez does the same kind of thing against Everton. We're going to get punished for it. And all of a sudden, those uh, apologists that are, you know, popping up on Reddit because we got a clean sheet in one game against number 19 in the league, they're going to disappear for a little while. So, you know, not to discredit it, clean sheet, definitely a great thing to have, definitely good. Um, But I, I think it was more that West Brom was just that poor in attack and not so much that we defended particularly well. Yeah, I think that's that's a great analysis. I want to go to Mike and ask you, Mike, because I know you want to talk about this. You haven't told me this, but I just feel it coming. Snodgrass, which I love to say that name. Um, Snodgrass with the boot to uh, Davis's midsection. Red card, not a red card. What's your take? Um. That was a hundred percent a red card. Um, 
<laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, is that, is that, uh, you know, he kept his leg up like that. Right. I mean, Sonny and I, uh, Steve and I were texting back and forth and, and we both, I think mentioned just about the same time that, that, that happened to son, you know, last year, he, right, right. he was, and it was, and it was less of an offense and he got booted immediately. And then of course, you know, 15 minutes later, son gets a, gets a kick to the midsection too. And mysteriously, nothing happens. Um, you know, I want to I want to believe there's not some grand conspiracy amongst the referees, but I, I, I don't know at this point. Um, but, you know, to kind of to go back to this this uh, Lucas and Lamella um, conversation, um, the things that I saw out of Lucas and Lamella today um, were things that we hadn't seen in a while. Um you know, you have you have uh, a midfield um, or a you know a Harry Kane backup of 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 Winks. You know, um, constantly. You know, if he runs into a if he runs into a player, ends up passing it backward, passing it sideways, gets rid of the ball immediately. We you weren't seeing that with Lucas and Lamella out there. What you were seeing is them tracking sideways. Moving the ball across the field, waiting for the waiting for the play to open up, and I think that that is kind of the way that we need to um, we need to attack these teams that are putting ten guys behind the ball, right? Because because if they're just going to sit there and pack the box, we need to do something to 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 move that ball through and and open up those those players in the box. And the only way to do that is to move with the ball at your feet. You don't necessarily need to look for a beautiful pass. You don't need to back the ball up to 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 open that play up because the second you back that ball up, they're going to move forward a little bit, and the second you pass it back forward, they're going to back right back up into that box. They're going to protect their goalkeeper. They're going to protect their their situation, their lead, or their or their draw at that point. And and I think what you saw out of Lucas and Lamella is is what we needed. And you you need speed guys to do that. And I think that's why they were perfect for the situation. Now, getting to the fact that it was West Brom, um, you know, I, I think you, you saw the situation in the Brighton game where it was probably one of the worst soccer games that I've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, I watched a lot of MLS this year. <laughs> so, um, so, um, when you look at that and you're like, this is the lowest point we can get. You get into Chelsea and for the first 30 minutes, again, you're looking at that going, what are they doing? Then you get to the second half, you start getting some subs and you sub on Lucas and Lamella, those speed guys, things start to change and you start to feel a little better about what's going on. And, I think at that point in the second half, when when we started, we started eh, the, the the defending still wasn't quite there, and I don't think it's going to be because I don't think we have super quality defenders. But but our attack looked a little fresher, it looked a little quicker. Guys were a little little more uh, they they looked a little more confident with the ball. Um, so I think that's where you kind of start to see a turnaround. I think that's where we're going to see a turnaround. Um, that that type of a situation is where a team starts to feel confident, and then you get to play a team like West Brom, who, you know, 
they're basically a, a decent championship side. They're 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 going to be relegated again. I don't think they're getting out of that hole. And and West Brom, a team like West Brom is a good team to get healthy on. You know? So I think I think going into next week, uh, it, February is a very important run of games. You know, just as it was back in back in October and November when we had when we had all that congestion. So um, West Brom, I think, is a good team to uh, to get healthy on. But I, I don't know. I, I probably didn't answer your question. And I started to ramble. So no, <laughs> you, you absolutely. You know, first it was about the red card, but then I just wanted to read on on the day and you took us there. So thank you. All right, let's pivot. <laughs> let's, uh, I've, I've always wanted to say what I'm about to say. We have some questions from our listeners. How impressive is that? Huh? Um, so we're going to take some time just to go through some questions. First one comes from, from Glenn, who's a member of our Vermont Spurs club. Um, and he, he asks about the struggles of the other team in North London. And if the fact that they are so terrible, um, makes our struggles more palatable or more tolerable. Um, who's got an opinion on that? Steve, do you have do you have an opinion on that? And then, Tal, let's get to you after that and see what you have to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's there's two things that kind of work for our, in our favor right now. One, Arsenal are just garbage right now. Um, and it feels really great to say that. I, I hope nothing changes for them anytime soon. Keep Arteta. He's doing a superb job as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and the, the, the second thing is the lack of fans in the stadium. Because, uh, you know, for for both Spurs and, you know, the same could be uh, applied to Arsenal as well. Granted, you know, their stadium's usually quiet anyway, so you might not really notice that they're upset. Um, but for Spurs in particular, you know, Jose, if we had fans in the stadium, he'd be hearing it a lot more. The players would be hearing it a lot more. Um and I think that's that's probably saving us a bit this season um, from some of these, you know, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm, I'm, it's my perception right now. Overall, the lack of midseason sackings, I feel, might just be down to the fact that there's nobody in the stadium booing every time, you know, there, there's a poor result or a poor performance. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that between Arsenal just – being hot garbage and not having the, the, the fans in the stadium, Josie's got a little extra time to, to, you know, do what he needs to do and, and make things happen. Um, and again, I, we've made this point, I think just subconsciously a couple of times, it isn't all on Jose either, right? It's the, it's the players themselves too, that need to just kind of get a pick me up, you know, get some energy, go out there, play with a little bit of passion, um, in, to a certain degree that it hurts not having the fans there because you don't have them, you know, trying to lift you up. Uh, but at the same degree, they're also not, you know, calling for your head when you've, you know, played a, a ball backwards for the 30th time in the game and we're only 30 minutes into it. So, um, you know, th- there's definitely some some benefits. Uh, I, I think the way that things are going this season as a whole within the league, I mean, we're still – what four points off top four right now, given our poor run of form, there's no way we're getting first. That's, that's for sure. 14 points off. That's not going to happen. Um, but you know, top four still feels like it's within our grasp and it's just, it's one of those seasons that's just so odd for so many different teams that we, there's still a chance. We still have a chance. All we have to do is, is figure out, you know, where the rod is on the team, cut it out. And there we go. We can, 
put together a, a you know a couple wins in a row, and suddenly we're looking much better off. You know, I appreciate that point about the top four, Steve. Um, definitely felt like we deserved that in the first third of the season, right? As of late, it hasn't felt like we deserved that at all. But um, who knows? This morning, maybe we see some signs, but it's way early for us to jump to conclusions. But the good news is there is time. We're just over halfway through. Tal, how about you? Same same question. Arsenal, terrible. What's that mean for us? Well, I just think it's, it's good for the fans. You know, it just gives, like, if we have a terrible match, but then Arsenal lose, we, you'll see on on Facebook or wherever, everyone's like, oh, that's my weekend just got better. It's just, I think it's a psychological thing for us. Uh, luckily, we're not in uh, London having to get hammered by our workmates and our neighbors uh, when we do badly. Um, and, you know, so I, I can I can let myself feel embarrassed when we play poorly and they play well. But in the big picture, I don't think the players think that much about it. Um, I, I just I'm glad we're four points, five points ahead of them, whatever it is. As long as they're under us, I think it feels good. Um, but I think uh, what it, what could be worrying is that West Ham is ahead of us, and typically that's just a joke. Or West Ham is a joke, and so um, I'm just thinking. You know, I, I tend to be pretty optimistic and positive, and like, all right, next game, next game, next game. We can play better than we're playing now. We, we, people, you know, two months ago, people were saying we had a chance to win the, win the league. I mean, the, the people that don't even like us were saying, yeah, we're serious. So I still believe that team is in there, but um, I think there's still psychological fragility in the club. And, um, and so it's, it's nice to feel those, those guys under us, but I think we just need to be thinking, get us get a run of wins here. And I think the big one really to me is Everton. Like we've got to prove that we can win a big game. You know, it's not just beating Sheffield or mediocre Leeds or West Brown. We got to win a big game now. And last time we did that was when we beat city and Arsenal back in November. And uh, so we've got to find that form um, and, and sort of get some mojo and like some, some really confidence. Like, like we can win every time the team should be afraid of us. You know what? What I like today about today was we only played one defensive uh, center midfielder instead of two, and so really right now you're you're tipping the balance, setting having you know six defenders and four attacking players. We going five and five, and that balance to me is better. I mean, we got to have some faith in the back five. You've got you've got uh, Pierre, Holt, you know, covering for these guys. Let's go. Let's let's play a little bit. You know, put the fifth attacker out there and see what happens. I think that was what happened today. So I, I just think about um, how can we build on what we have and um, not and not get all sucked up into all these side side thoughts about. I don't think the players think about that stuff, stuff too much until the game rolls around against Arsenal and they're like, we want to beat these guys. So, so Tal, to your point, like you you know, how do you play without without that extra defensive midfielder against a team like say City, who is just I'm, rolling over everybody right now? I mean. Quite, quite honestly, like you know, you know, you might need to sell go out there. Um, somebody, somebody to you know, Hoiberg can't be uh, can't be running around all by himself the entire time, right? No, against City, they're going to have to. And that right. team, that team is so flowing, and that team is so good. I and mean, we have to face it; that, that team is locked down solid in the back, and they got all kind of players that can do anything, even without Aguero. So I, we probably will have to go back to that, and then it will have to be a sit back, spring a trap, and try to get on the counter. 
That's what I would think. Okay. Hey, Mike, let, let's stick with you. Um, about that question about the fans not being in the stands, how do you think that affects Mourinho's ability to to execute game plans the way he wants to? Does he have more freedom to do so? Um, I, yeah, I think so. Um, no, when you when you're a coach, and I think this this probably speaks to you know all all uh, major team sports is that when when you're a coach, you don't have fans you know, in the stands that are taking you to task, then, you know, all bets are off. You can do basically whatever you want, you know, and, and, and then have to absorb it, you know, during the week or in the, in a post-match press conference. But again, when you're in a post-match press conference these days with COVID, you have one guy talking to you, you know? So, you know, I think Jose, Jose's got big shoulders. He can, he can absorb all that, that that getting beat up by the press and stuff. I don't, I don't think it affects him too much, you know. Um, he's, I, I, I think like when, when you don't have anybody beating down your back or breathing down your neck, for lack of a better term, you really, you really have the freedom to do what you want. And I think, I think you saw that with his, you know, his constantly changing lineups, his changing tactics. You know, when we saw when we saw Pochettino doing it, and not to bring up the ghost of Pochettino again, but when we saw him constantly changing his lineups, he was actually, you know, he had fans in the stands. He he felt that pressure. And he he was doing it because, you know, he needed to. He needed to find something to get that spark back. Whereas Jose is like, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to constantly change. He could have he could have stuck with what he had going on in the beginning of the season when we were winning matches and we were looking good like when we beat City we beat Arsenal, you know. I I, I just I like I said last week I just don't I didn't understand his constantly changing tactics, um. But you know to just to just to get back to your question is that I think it's it's an it's an immense help to somebody like Jose not not having to answer to anybody except for you know maybe maybe whoever he worships and you know and god <laughs> <laughs> all right let's go on to our next uh, our next listener question um and i want to preface this question by saying i think steve brought it up a few weeks ago the we, we were all jose yes right let's let's give him the time and i still feel that way i believe he's a He's won everywhere he's he's been for a reason because he knows what he's doing and I and I want to see him have the time to execute that. But we also know that his tenures tend to be limited, so time is not always his friend, right? So there's always this question in the background. It was amplified during the past week before this morning's match. Um, if Jose's out, who's next? So that's the question. Comes from our Vermont Spurs member Chris, who threw this out to us, and that is if we if we could bring in anyone, if we could pick who the ideal manager was to come in next who would that be um steve i know you have some thoughts on this what what would you like to say yeah i, I love this question just because these sort of what ifs are, are you know they're fun to discuss i think and, and i know we're all probably going to have our, our different viewpoints uh, as well uh, for me 
it goes one of two ways. If Jose kind of gets that midseason sack and we need to replace him with another quality manager who's available right off the bat, for me, it's got to be Allegri. He's out of work. He's another serial winner. Um, there were rumors that he was learning English, you know, because he wanted to come to the Premier League at some point. That's a guy who who I would love to see come in um, and try to right the ship. You know, he, he's coached some of the, the best talent in the world. Um, he's won at some of the top clubs. You know, why, why not? Um, but on the flip side, if Jose gets to run out the clock, you know, he goes through till the end of his contract, which, by the way, I think I mentioned it last time, I don't think he's going to get a renewal. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy who's going to come in. He's either going to win a silverware or he's out. Um, even if he does win a silverware, he's done what he's supposed to do and he's out anyway. Um, for me, I would also... Uh, be interested in seeing, you know, a younger up and coming manager kind of get, get, um, you know, his hands on the reins again. And, you know, I'm sure people are going to think, well, that's a step backwards. We did that with Pochettino, but Pochettino also got us to a Champions League final. So, you know, that just kind of shows what um, fresh ideas can do. And for me, uh, the interesting candidate would be uh, Marco Rose uh, from uh, Mauricio Mucci-Gladbach. you know, they're they're another one of those teams that's they're a very attacking team. Um, you know, they're not really lighting the world aflame. You know, I think they're they're seventh or eighth in the Bundesliga right now. They were fourth last season, uh, which his first in in in, uh, in charge there. Uh, he has got them into the knockout stages, uh, I believe, of the Champions League as well. So, you know, he's somebody who's getting the experience. Um, I think Dortmund's even looking at him as a potential replacement uh, for next season. But he's the, he's the kind of guy, he's he's trained with uh, Jurgen Klopp, if that tells you kind of what you might expect uh, from, from how he plays or how he sets up his team. I think that could be a really interesting uh, uh, choice. You know, I look at some of these, um, you know, top managers, the ones who are, you know, getting up there in age, Jose's, for me as a prime example yeah they've won yeah they have the capability but you know this is an ever-changing sport tactics are changing players are changing um if you're not somebody who can come up with fresh ideas who can try something new who's willing to learn and grow at some point you're going to hit a wall you're going to stagnate and then you're not going to be performing as much so you know, if we can get a young up-and-coming manager in who's who's willing to try something new, who's got some experience at, you know, a Champions League caliber team, and yes, I am counting Mucci and Gladbach as that team, seeing how they have played in the Champions League, um, then yeah, I'd say let's give them a shot. That, that'd be a, a, an interesting one, especially if it gets us back to playing that more attack-minded, um, you know, a, a style that I think a, a lot of us are, are missing right now. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm looking forward to hearing what the rest of you guys all think about this. Yeah, Mike, how about you? What, what are your thoughts on uh, potential coaches after the Jose era is done? Um, Steve's probably going to kill me for this, but um, I'm, I'm, st- I'm going to stick with in Portugal. Uh, I like Marco Silva, man. I know he got sacked by uh, by Everton, but I mean, look, and, and he's probably not the right guy for us right now because we don't have the the pr- proper defense. Um, he's one of these guys. I can't imagine what he would be doing with this team that that Everton's putting out there right now. You know, he's got. He's again. He's another one of these guys. He's got that big attacking style. He gives up a lot of goals be- because of his style. 
But, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about with, uh, you know, a couple, a couple of nice additions. We need, we need a really solid center back and we need, we still need that right back. You know, it's, it seems like every other year we're, we're still talking about getting that right back. Um, so I, I like Marco Silva and I like, uh, uh, uh Bruno Lasha. I mean, you know, both of those guys have, have, have coached teams on, on, on the world stage, you know, and, and, um, and I, and I just think their attacking styles are, are kind of what we want out of Spurs. And I, and I, I, I really think I like Marco Silva, um, take nothing away from Allegri. I mean, he's probably the guy, the guy that everybody wants, you know, he's probably number one on everyone's list, but, um, my guy would be Marco Silva. You know, he's young. He's, he is, he's still young. He's what, late, late, mid, late forties. I don't know. I consider that young. (laughs) (laughs) Really young. Totally young. Um, Mike, I can't, I can't believe that you don't think that, uh, Doherty is our right back of the future. I'm just, I'm so disappointed in that analysis. Tal, how about you? What are, what are your uh, coaching well, picks? I think, you know, backing up a little bit, I think that at 15, about 15 million a year, Levy's not going to switch out midseason and not give Mourinho a full on go at this from, for his own pride. I, I mean, Levy's own pride. Um, I, 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 if if we don't just completely bomb this this season, and if we win silverware, doesn't matter what, or we get into the back of the Champions League, we'll keep him, and then he'll have another window, and then he really will be judged on what he does with that window and a full, you know, going out of that. Short of all that, after watching Fulham yesterday, uh, I was like, I wish we played like that because that's how we used to play, and that's Scott Parker. Um, and they're just like, they're just all, uh, balls out, you know, nothing to lose. And it, it just, it was flowing and this, um, this, uh, guy, Lookman, he just looked great out there. They play with this kind of swashbuckling, uh, confidence. And with our players, you think we could do that. Um, but with Mourinho, there's, it's a, it's a different system. Um, so I was thinking, oh, Scott Parker, but then you think like someone like that, you get us into the, you know, the quarterfinals of the champions league that's a pretty tough position to put someone all of a sudden um i I guess i like nagelsman uh you know he's like 33 or something he's really young uh but he he seems these young coaches uh i think that will be exciting for young players uh he's been at a high level you could still you know i think there is some issue about having a high level coach that can bring players in and persuade players to come and play and there's a bit to me you know, to get a player to come and decide to come to Tottenham and not United or City. You need someone who the players have faith in that a they're going to play and b they're going to play at high level and this 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 coach is going to get them to the the next level. So I just don't really I I think it does have to be someone who's got a name and I think it's got to be someone who's attractive to to young players or big players that want to want to win silverware. You know I think that's one of our problems is we we've been sort of like just under the the Ivy league or whatever, you know, that's sort of where we live. And I think the whole idea of getting Levy was to get us up to the big lead, you know, let's get in there with the big boys and let's get a big player, let's get a big manager and let's go for this. We got a big stadium. Let's do this, but it's going to be, have to be, uh, it's going to have to be backing for whoever it is. 
And this team, this team right now, it needs help. You know, so whoever the, whoever the manager is, is going to need Levy to promise, I will go buy you a center back that can do this. I, I want to jump on your your Nagelsmann comment there, Tal, um, because I'm with you on that. You know, I I have no problem with a hardworking, fast moving, young, energetic. Bundesliga coach who has shown success. Let's be honest, Leipzig embarrassed us twice last year. Um, so watching that happen, I, I started respecting that guy then and started paying a little bit more attention to him. He seems like on the Bundesliga side, he's the up and comer, right? Um, Steve and I were having a side conversation. You know, the you could draw the straight trajectory for him straight to Bayern after he leaves Leipzig. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> if I'm putting the sales pitch on, I'm saying, okay, you want to go to Bayern and just be another coach who's won everything there? Or do you want to come to Tottenham and become, you know, a legend and never buy a drink again for the rest of your life, right? Like, that's that's the, the pitch that I put on him, but he's one guy it's that... It's the Terry I, Francona pitch, right? Bingo, exactly. <laughs> you know, another one, and this is, this is kind of one of those dark horses, and this would be the project type manager. I am... I really like Thomas Frank, the, uh, the coach at Brentford. Um, and... You guys, you guys know I, I come to I come to some of my decisions through roundabout ways. So I'm going to pause and, and give you kind of how I got there. Um, there's a podcast called Soccer 101 that I that I listen to on occasion, and I heard an ad on there once for this this company out of Boston called Away Days Football um, that I started looking up and buying things from. And you know, as I've learned more about football slash soccer, I've grown to appreciate soccer culture. And you know. Even though Spurs are my club, um, I like a good kit. You know, as long as it doesn't conflict with my team, I like a good kit. So what Away Days Football does is is this guy sells all kinds of different kit, a lot of U.S.-based programs and, and teams, not not MLS teams, but lower-level teams. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can find. And he had this thing where it was a mystery kit where you could just pay, a you know, 25 bucks to get a random random jersey in the mail. And for me, that's fun. I'm the kind of guy, like, you give me a free T-shirt, a slice of pizza, and a beer, I'll do anything. So, like, if you give me, you know, an, <laughs> you give me an unknown kit in the mail, like, I'll get, I'll give you twenty bucks for that. That's no problem. And um, one of the first kits I got was a Brentford one, and it's like Brentford. Huh? Okay, well, you know, maybe there's. A, I need to watch a championship team. I need to be tuned in to see something. So I've been paying attention to them for the last few years. And when I started to look into him more and more, he's a he's a Danish guy. Started out as a youth coach, like literal. Worked his way from the ground up through their international system and then came to Brentford as, as an assistant and then worked his way into the top role and has built them into a, a competitor. They, you know, we know that we know that three squads are going down to the championship next year. I wouldn't be shocked to see Brentford be one that comes up. We we can expect Norwich is coming back, but, you know, who knows what the others will be. And uh, he's a guy who has built a system and built a team and he'd be more of a project. But there's yeah. some excitement there. He also was uh, Hoybier's uh, under-17 coach in right. uh, in Denmark, for what it's worth. And, you know, there's just something interesting to that if we were going the project route. Yeah. So, good suggestions. So Dave, Dave, just to, just to, to kind of jump onto that, um, you have to stop giving sponsorship stuff to – Guys who are our sponsors. I know, right? <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe my boy in away days. Maybe you're recruiting. <laughs> maybe he'll be our official sponsor from now on. Who knows, right? Well, I'm going there and getting a random kit then too. <laughs> away days, away days football. Check it out. It's, it's worth the effort, no question. Awesome. Uh, let's look ahead. Hey, let's look ahead uh, to the, the week coming up. I, Steve, I think mentioned this a little bit ago. Um, we got Everton in the FA Cup on Wednesday afternoon. I want to say, and then uh, on the weekend, I think it's the prime time. Well. 
prime football time. Uh, NBC game, we got Man City on Saturday. What are we thinking about as we look ahead to that? Mike, why don't you get us started? What are your uh, What are your eyes on as we look at Everton and look at Man City? Um, yeah, so um, like Steve said earlier, um, you know, Calvert-Lewin and Hamas are uh, – they're they're definitely scary players. Um, we gotta we gotta find a way to have a, a, a defensive backfield that's that's going to be able to contain those two. Um, and I don't know I don't know where we're gonna find those guys because you know you you look at the Chelsea the Chelsea match and maybe like I said we were just getting just getting well at that point starting to get well, but um, Mason Mount completely dominated us and Hudson Adoya dominated us. Um and if we don't find defensive combination, same thing's gonna happen with Hamas and, and Calvert Lewin. And and uh you know, I mean that's not to say that we're we're not going to be competitive because we are against Everton. I, I feel that we are um plainly on the fact that Harry Kane is back is back with us. Um um, I feel that he should have been taken out earlier in the game uh, today after we got that 2-0 lead. Uh, protect those ankles because they have been fragile his entire career. Um, someone on you a, can, someone yeah, on yeah. Tottenham Hotspur today said uh, on Facebook said his ankles are made of cheese. <laughs> it's better than glass. I was I was gonna say I was gonna say crystal, but yeah. Um, so I mean. You, so looking at Everton, you can you can tell how much better Son is when Harry Kane is on the field. You saw it today. His attitude is different. His his speed on the field, tracking back on defense is different. Um and I and I think that has a lot to do that has a lot to do with Harry Kane being on the field. He's he's a completely different player when Harry's on the field, and I think that has a lot to do with how teams defend those two. I mean, when Harry Kane's on the field, obviously they can defend Son with an extra man, uh, whether they put someone on him or in front of him. Son gets frustrated when he's not able to do what he wants to do. Um, but I, I think we're going to be competitive with Everton. Um, it's going to be a different look because it is an FA Cup game it's versus a league game. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more intense of a game. I think it's going to be very physical. Um, and I don't know how well we're going to do because we, when people try and get physical with us and take us to task, um, I, we don't really react well. We start making mistakes. But um, I think you're going to see that combination of, of, of Lucas and Lamella back out there again for that game. Um, looking ahead to Saturday, is this, it is Saturday, right? Um, Man City, I, I don't know what else you can say. Uh, every single position on that field is world-class. World-class, even without Aguero there, like Tal said earlier. Um, that is going to be the test. You know, like I said earlier, it's February's a big, big month for us here. And it's either going to be a turning point where we turn from that rough patch of games and start to make moves back up to the top, or it's going to solidify our spot in the middle. 
I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Tal has some different different ideas on this, but what do you think? I think we'll be lucky. We'll be happy just to get a point. I mean, at this point, I mean, with without Reggie on the left, um, you know, Tangi's limited defensively. Um, so you're gonna. I think you're gonna have to put in two defensive midfielders, and then we're gonna be in that. We're gonna be in that block down low. We're gonna be hoping for some scraps. I just that team is just so flowing. Uh, even when we put eight back. You know, I still think they're going to – they move the ball so well in, out, back, through, around. It's like – it's just unbelievable. That's what Chelsea was doing to us. We, we look like we're asleep. I, I wrote – I was I wrote a comment to someone. I said, this, it looks like it looks like a, a training ground exercise against Chelsea in that first half. It's like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like we didn't know whether to go up or sit back. We, we can't press. We weren't pressing. I mean, that was one thing that was nice today was to see a little bit of a press. Um Win the ball higher, and then you're already in. You don't have to screw around with jacking balls out of the back up, up top. But I think we're in trouble against uh, City. Against Everton, it's going to be confidence. Like, uh, are we feeling high and confident? Are we going there feeling good and get an early goal? Uh, but if we're so, I still, I just think we're still fragile. And I think sometimes Mourinho on the sideline, he doesn't make you feel good. You're like you're gonna get yelled at or something, you know. And I don't think that helps you when your 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 confidence is already fragile. So, but man, having having Kane back, that just changes everything, you know. At least at least and at least he got a game today, so he'll be a little sharper tomorrow. I mean, and you know he's gonna you know he's gonna play ninety minutes. <laughs> Steve, I want to ask you. Let's look at the city match in the league on the weekend. You know. Oddly enough, we've kind of had City's number for the past year and a half or so. And I don't mean dominating City, but frustrating City. Um, clearly, they're a superior squad, right? Clearly, they are—they have more cylinders and they are firing. But wh- what do you see? Do we do we still have the shot to, to keep their number? Or is this, a, is this a really, really challenging day we're in for? Yeah, I mean, my, my gut tells me that the city result hinges on how we perform at Everton. Cause I feel that whatever kind of tactical formation we roll out against Everton, we're probably going to see something similar against city. Um, and it's mostly because those are two teams who are going to be attacking and Spurs defensively are, are not great. So, you know, I, I almost look at the Everton match as kind of like the prelude to what we might expect from city. My gut says, it's probably going to be a loss. I mean, City absolutely threw Liverpool to the Wolves today. Um, but that said, you're absolutely right. We have had their number recently. This could be one of those odd sort of matches where, you know, on paper, given all the you know statistical advantages, City should be thrashing us. And then we walk away with like another cheeky one goal win. You know, VAR comes out and, and, you know, chalks another one off for them. You know, it, it could very well go that way just because of, you know, how things have been going. It's like we're their bogey team in, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like they could win, you know, every single game for the rest of the season and then just lose to Spurs off something stupid, really. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my gut tells me that it, that's we're not going to, you know, 
catch lightning in a bottle again. Um, if if we can figure out how to cope with an a, attacking threat in Everton, I think we'll be in a much more comfortable, confident place against Man City um, than if Everton just completely destroy us. I mean, that's just going to deflate everybody. You're going to go into City and think, well, this game's already lost, so you know what can we do? Um, Watching Foden and Sterling today just do Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold up left, right, and center. Like, what are those guys going to do to Ben Davies? Like, <laughs> you know, it was just ridiculous. But I think I think you're right. I mean, if we get a good result against Everton, we'll go in feeling pretty good. And if we if we lose to Everton, we're going to feel like that's there's one big hunk of our season is over. You know, and we can't beat a team that's, you know, around us or above us. So it's a big one. The Wednesday game is a big one. And I think, gentlemen, that brings us to uh, to our conclusion for today. So um, I want to thank you guys for getting together to, to talk about the, the club that we love. Uh, I want to remind anybody listening or let you know we're currently available on Spotify and Pocket Cast will be on, I, or on Apple Podcasts very soon. Just search for Wicked Spursy on any of those, and you can subscribe and have that more conveniently show up on your uh, on your podcast listener. So, gentlemen, hope you have a great week ahead. Uh, this is Super Bowl Sunday currently, so hope you have an enjoyable Super Bowl night tonight, and see you soon. Thank you. Go Bucks. Be safe. Thanks, Thanks Dave. Spurs, man. <laughs> that works too.